welcome to the Move Well Radio Podcast, where we discuss all things related to health and wellness. We dispel common myths and misconceptions regarding healthcare, and we do it in a way that you can actually understand. And it's hosted by yours truly, Dr. Roger St. Ange, doctor of physical therapy, founder of Move Athletics Physical Therapy and Performance. All right, guys. So today we have uh, Brian Bouvet on. Uh, it took me so long to figure out how to pronounce his name when I first saw it because uh, I'm not that good at reading, apparently. Uh, he is a physician's assistant I've known for uh, quite some time. He's a primary care uh, PA. So he's, he's a, a lot of people's primary care doc. He kills it. Uh, and he's a badass runner who also happened to uh, pop his Achilles tendon one time. Uh, so we got to get to know each other pretty well through uh, doing some rehab there. So, Brian, thanks for uh, taking some time off and coming in on, a, was it Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, uh, to chat with me. It's wonderful. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, uh, Brian and I, were just we were just chatting about um, how, we, how I got to know you. Um, and I was like, you know what, let's just turn the podcast on. So, we were, we were saying that uh, I got to know you because some of the company that I, I worked for was uh, doing like some community outreach, right? And then I ended up uh, coming in and just hanging out with you for a day, you know, in the office, which is actually a really cool experience. Like, um, it was very different than anything I've done with anybody else because you're like, oh, shit, like, hey, you're the expert here. Like, why don't you just uh, do your thing with my patients? And I was like, fuck, yeah, this guy gets it. Like, that's awesome. Um, so what were you saying? I'm glad you felt that way. I definitely did not feel like an expert at the time. Keep in mind, you know, I'm 37, and so this was what – almost four years ago that we first met. So I was maybe two years into uh, practicing medicine as a PA, uh, maybe less. And so I was still feeling my way through. And yes, I remember your um, contact said, I have this young, bright, um, energetic PT that wants to come and uh, establish a connection relationship with Caring Health Center, the facility I work at. And I thought that sounds wonderful. And so I'm glad you came in and thought that it at least looked like I was uh, practicing decent medicine. (laughs) Uh, You know, what really uh, popped out to me was that you actually have uh, what I like to call the the gaff. It's the give a fuck factor, right? Like uh, the population that you work with is not the most gratifying population uh, in in general from from what I've seen and what I've worked with in in the past. There's a lot of uh, of disability and learned disability and really a lot of times no desire to get better. So a lot of people end up in that situation just getting burnt out, right? And like not – wanting to help anybody they're just like going through the motions uh and it's not you man like you actually care you take the time to like actually chat with your patients as much as you can with the way the primary medicine is like set up with 15 minute back-to-back appointments and like actually try to fucking motivate them to make a difference so that's awesome that's that was really what jumped out to me i just loved it it was hilarious and you saw this in practice right so we let patients come in late we'll see them anyway you know we'll try to give them the time to talk about any concerns they have you know, as much as we can. And I remember, what did we see? We saw maybe 10 patients, at least eight out of those 10 patients had physical therapy related concerns. Did they not? Yeah. 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 And I remember saying, you know, uh, to the patient, uh, oh, you have knee pain, right? And so I'd fumble my way through a knee exam. Maybe I get a grind, right? Like a grind, (laughs) athlete's grind um, maneuver. And I'd say, that's positive. And then you'd come over and I'd say, you know, I actually have Roger, a physical therapist. Do you want him to take a look at your knee? 
and you would, and you do more uh, an in-depth exam and maybe even have a working diagnosis. And this patient thought, okay, maybe physical therapy could help me. Yeah, and, and that was, uh, I was uh, that's one of the things that I really liked is that uh, there's a lot of primary cares out there that they don't refer to physical therapy. They don't really know what it is, and they just send everybody to an orthopedist. Like, I need to go see a surgeon. I'm like, no, that's not the right steps. And just having, like, that interaction with me in the office, you can see the difference in the patients, right? Of like, being like, oh, yeah, like, maybe I'll go. to like, oh, shit, like, maybe these people know what they're talking about. <laughs> I can actually get rid of this pain. So that was pretty cool. Um, so fast forward from there, uh, that kind of led to a little bit of a bromance, a little relationship there. I mean, I haven't seen you in a while because it's been COVID-y, right? So this is a great catch-up. Um, but uh, you were – it was the Seven Sisters, right? I, I was, went up to the, the Seven Sisters trail race, and I saw you hobbling around. Like I, think, I don't think you had crutches. I think you were just hopping on one foot like with the other foot all wrapped up. And I was like, Brian, man, I thought you were running. What happened? Yeah, I really, um, you know, I believe in serendipity that sometimes people come into your life for a reason. And, you know, it was a m- miraculous that I had already known you. And I suffered this Achilles tendon rupture, which we can go into at depth. But you saw me, I think, one week after I had suffered that traumatic rupture. That's right, at the Seven Sisters Trail Race, which I had to defer. My wife was very excited that she got to take my number and run, and she did phenomenally. <laughs> if I recall, were you wearing some sort of strange costume? Were you dressed as, dressed as a caveman or something? No, no that, that was not me. Yeah, but uh, your wife definitely kicked my ass in that race. <laughs> How did you do for time? Uh, I don't want to talk about okay, it. Okay. <laughs> It was, uh, it's one of those things that I don't really ever train for endurance events like that. That's a brutal stupid. race. You're looking at, you know, seven yeah. miles uphill, then seven miles uphill. Dude, total sidebar. <laughs> I took my dog down that, uh, and like, she goes mountain biking with me. Right. And, uh, I, like five, eight miles regularly. I was like, all right, cool. Like this would be no, no brainer. Right. No, she's a 150 pound great Dane. We were like, we had like a mile and a half left to get down bear mountain. And, uh, she just stopped. She just exhaustion. I had to carry this fucking 150 pound dog, like with my biceps down Bear Mountain. Like that was terrible. It took me so long. That took me so long. Cause like she, she wouldn't get up. She would get up. She would take a couple stuff. So I thought I gave her rhabdo, like took her to the vet and everything. She was extremely dehydrated. She drank four liters of water while we were out there to drink strangers waters. Like made me feel like a really irresponsible dog parent and i was like oh like but she's done that distance regularly i didn't think about the elevation change i didn't like think about it at all because i went back and looked because i have like strava i'm like okay the most she's done is like 800 feet of elevation change like consistently around five and that's like three thousand. i was like oh boy i'm i'm a bad person i am not a mandated reporter for animals so <laughs> well she's the, okay the abuse she's... she <laughs> suffered is on you so yeah that's a testament to how tough that trail is yeah yeah, yeah. So, uh, sidebar, yeah, your wife was, uh, she kicked my ass on that. She kicked my ass in the other race that, that we did too. Uh, your first race that you came back, we'll get there. Um, the five mile turkey trot. Yeah. She ran ahead. I think she was pregnant at the time. She was like, oh, your pregnant wife is beating you. <laughs> it was true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, tell us, tell, us, tell us about the Achilles tear. Like, what, what were you doing? What happened? Uh, so, uh, the short story is that I ruptured my right Achilles tendon the day after the Boston marathon, April, 2018. So coming up on three years now, I was playing ultimate Frisbee. I was at least an hour and a half into the game. So for your listeners, I was completely stretched. I was warmed up. 
I had no aches or pains going into this game. And I remember I was playing defense. Uh, the, um, the, uh, the other player was making a sharp right turn. I was trying to guard them. So I planted with my right foot, prepared to launch off. And then somebody hit me in the back of the heel with a stick. And I turned around to find out, you know, who hit me with a stick. And there was nobody there. Not a soul. Yeah. So I thought, I'll be all right. I started walking and it felt like my right foot was just a dead fish. And um, I had learned just enough in PA school to know this was an Achilles tendon rupture. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it sounds like it wasn't really painful. It was remarkably painless. It honestly felt like getting hit in the heel of the stick. Yeah. I just want to make that point abundantly clear because we talk a lot uh, to our patients about pain is not an indicator of damage because sometimes you can have no damage, like the, the wrist analogy I gave you earlier, like if you fall asleep with your wrist bent, right, and there's pressure on it, you wake up in a lot of pain, but there's no damage. You can have massive damage, like a complete tear of your Achilles tendon, and have absolutely no pain, right? So obviously pain can't correlate all the time with, with damage. It's a protection mechanism, right? Um, all of a sudden there's a lot of damage, no pain, which is crazy. So you didn't fall. You just heard like a – did you hear it? You just felt a stick. You didn't hear like – Well, I, yeah, let me go into it. But before we keep going, just because um, I tend to go off on rants, just please for your listeners know that anything that I say does not constitute medical advice um, <laughs> because, again, I'm off the clock. But, uh, yeah, honestly, Noted. you know, when I think about pain, I think about is this pain indicating that there's acute damage – Right, so I'm sure I felt that acute pain right at the moment that the tendon severed. But then any further use of the foot isn't really going to cause any more damage. So my body's telling me, you know, I don't need to send pain signals because you're really not going to damage this any further. This yeah. is as bad as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's um I think that's a good way of, of looking at it. You know, like hey, you had that hey the momentary feeling of something hitting you and then uh, well there's no more damage that's going to happen so uh there's no more danger <laughs> so <laughs> it's already you, been done you know me i did not ask for any help i hobbled over to my car i knew yeah. what i had done i called uh, my wife who called uh, her dad who came and picked me up drove me to uh bay state thanks uh, pops emergency room thanks pops uh shout out to bob for debt <laughs> <laughs> and um I remember hobbling into the emergency room and the triage nurse asked me what happened. And I said, well, I ruptured, you know, my Achilles tendon. And she said, okay, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. You know, when did the pain start? I said, actually, it's painless. I don't feel any pain. Um, I completely ruptured my tendon, so there is no pain. She said, I said, how do you know that? And I told her, you know, there's this test, the Homan's test. You squeeze the calf yeah. muscle and you elicit, you know, a, a plantar flexion, whatever it might be. And uh, I can never remember whether positives and negatives. So I just say I didn't elicit, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she told, you know, her next nurse who said, yeah, that does sound like an Achilles rupture. And they got me right in, you know, yeah. I had a wonderful experience actually in the emergency room. That's awesome. Yeah. Some of those tests, it's so funny. They even call it a test. It's like common sense. Like, Hey, there's a, there's a rope there. The ropes cut. So I tug on it. Nothing happens on the <laughs> opposite side of the cut. Um, yeah, 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 that's uh, that's awesome. <clears throat> did, <laughs> I don't even know what to say there. Like, did they ask you if you were a medical? Did you tell them you're a medical professional? Well, yeah, they eventually got to that, and I said, you know, I'm a PA in primary care, and they said, well, you know, I, I could see in their eyes they were thinking, should you really be diagnosing orthopedic conditions? Yeah, 
I'm just not an idiot. Like I, I try to move it, doesn't move. I squeeze my calf, it still doesn't move. Like <laughs> as luck would happen. have it, though, or not luck. Um, you know, another gentleman who had ruptured his Achilles, he said six weeks before was being wheeled past me back to the emergency room, and I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. Is that going to be me in six weeks? Uh, for for another tear, a retear. Uh, I didn't get any follow up on him. Gotcha. Um, but seeing him hyper focused me for recovery. Dude, that makes a lot of sense because you were like terrified terrified of re-tearing and you're a very you're you're an extremely intelligent individual so i knew that like you had done all of this research and everything and i was like i didn't really understand and that's my bad i guess for not even asking like i didn't take the time to dig into it but that's why you know i was seeing you in the insurance world i had like seven thousand patients at the same time i'm glad you perceive me as intelligent i can tell you for sure uh your I'm, wife's opinion doesn't I count dumb 90 percent <laughs> Yeah, no, you you are. You're you're uh I mean, I feel the same way, right? But I never thought of that. That is exactly right. I yeah. never realized why I was so terrified that this is going to retear and I'm going to have a bad outcome and this is going to plague me for yeah. the rest of my athletic life. If I had more time, if I was in the situation that I am right now, I would have spent so much time digging into that and we would have had so many conversations regarding that and you would have left with way less concern and it wouldn't have affected your life because it really you were like obsessed with it you were constantly reading and looking and like looking at different surgical protocols and trying to figure out like all right what's the best way for me to not have another retear in your defense you did as much as you could in the time you had to amp me up and give me some mental motivation because i believe i saw you and your team at week six post-op maybe even sooner and i remember you saying things like it's been surgically repaired with tensile on, you know, a suture. It is strong. You can start to flex it and move it. Yeah, you're terrified. And I started to believe you. <laughs> <laughs> it took it took some convincing though. So tell tell me about that, man. Tell us about that. Like what what was that like for you from uh, you know, recovering from surgery and going through rehab? Like it, you're uh, you know, I would I would describe you as a pretty serious runner. Like Yeah, so to give some context Two days prior to the rupture, I had PR'd at a marathon. It wasn't the Boston Marathon. It was the Newport Marathon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm no great marathon by any stretch. I ran, I think, a 320-something or low 330s, which for me is fantastic. Um, It's way better than the one marathon I did without training for it. What did you do, the Marine Corps? Yeah. (laughs) What a great marathon, though, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, And so that was two days prior. And I was probably in the best shape of my life. And I also used long distance running as, you know, a form of therapy to, you know, target, you know, depression and anxiety, which I've never been diagnosed with, but certainly, you know, suffer from. Um, Yeah. To some extent, you know, it's not a pathology, but to have running taken away in a moment was really depressing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. That's where this starts to, to, to really get good here, right? Like, huh, I understand that, right? Like, there's a lot of people that deal with uh, depression and anxiety, undiagnosed, like not treated, not pharmaceutically treated, right? But a lot of people rely on exercise as that outlet. Like, Brittany, right? Like, my girlfriend, she's like, uh, I'm pretty sure 99% of the reason that she even exercises at all is just for her mental health. And she gets, like, obsessive about it sometimes because if she doesn't, then her anxiety starts to get, like, really bad. So it's, like, helping her find this healthy balance of that sometimes. So what did that – how did that affect your life? How did that affect your relationship, right? Like, what – tell us about that. Yeah. Um, 
poorly. <laughs> I, I think as a result of the Achilles tendon rupture, I did end up in you know marriage counseling for the better. Um, I learned incredible listening skills and realized you know that I was a pain in the butt for sure. Um, you know, we talked earlier about um, you know getting a getting a beer after, and we were talking about how I'm taking you know 90 days off of beer and alcohol because it was something that I was relying on during COVID uh, to relax. Self-soothing. Self-soothing. And so I found a lot of that happening with the Achilles rupture. If your foot's up and you've got nothing to do, <laughs> why not watch three seasons of Westworld and, you know, drink a beer or two or more? And that certainly doesn't help with recovery, certainly doesn't help with physical recovery um, or mental health. So my relationship definitely suffered, you know, from from the injury which is why if I encounter people with severe injuries that are taking them out of the game for a while, I say, get a sports psychologist if you can, if you're able to. Yeah, no, I think that that's a, uh, well, one, thanks for like getting so personal, right? Like that's, uh, I think it's really enlightening for a lot of people. And then, yeah, absolutely. You need some kind of counselor, some kind of therapist, psychologist, whatever word you want to implement there to refer to them, right? Like some people have, different words like we were just talking <clears throat> excuse me earlier my whole team out there well it was me jess and, and amy so the three of us uh that's not the whole team about our therapist right we we're talking about amy referring somebody out uh to a psychologist which we do regularly that's fantastic right? oh yeah i'm cool. glad to hear that well it's just like we uh you know you and i were talking about earlier where we get really deep with people right like about why what's going on like how is this affecting your life and People are in those shitty places that you're you were in, and they need someone to like dig deep and like give them the boot to go get help for you. It sounds like it might have been your wife. <laughs> yeah, and you were talking earlier about you know how some patients aren't motivated either to improve or can't see like a future that excites them. And I think being able to find some sort of way to show a patient that yeah can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we all have therapists. That's that's kind of the point that I was going to make. Like, I have a therapist. Amy has a therapist. Jess has a therapist. And I remember trying to get into therapy uh, after I got out of the Marine Corps. It was um, – it took me a long time, right? Like, I made appointments. I canceled them. And I made up all these excuses as to, like, why I don't really need to go to therapy. And there's other people that have, like, this negative stigma about it. Uh, so I just started telling people eventually, like, after it ruined – another relationship right <laughs> that i had um the things that i was just ignoring or maybe doing some self-soothing for right uh, i started telling a whole bunch of people and and just for public accountability like hey i'm gonna go see a therapist and that's when i realized that like dude there's a lot of people that see therapists and none of them are bad people like some of the most successful people i know speak to a counselor psychologist whatever you want to call them r regularly you know um so I just think it's cool that everybody on our team does that. It's something that we strongly uh, advocate for when, when we dig in and see that people are struggling. Yeah, know, I mean, what are your friends going to tell you? They're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. If they're really good friends, maybe they'll <laughs> give you good advice or coaching. But a friend is you some most of the time going to kind of reinforce the things you already want them to tell you. So a therapist can be somebody that's, you know, an outside source giving you some really valuable insights. Some shit that you don't want to hear. <laughs> but have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're playing uh, Ultimate Frisbee, uh, which is just funny to me every time you say that. So my Achilles <laughs> playing Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, then, you know, you had a surgical intervention. You got terrified of re-tearing it. 
uh, you realize that you need some help. You got some some counseling. So it's just walk us through like your uh, your journey through rehab. Like what what was that like on your end? Um, I took it very seriously. So I knew that the surgical option was right for me. Um, we could talk a little bit about your opinions on non-op versus surgical, but I think surgical um, intervention has a lower rate for re-rupture. Um, probably you end up with a little bit more strength. Um, and probably um, quicker return time to sport, which is really important to me. I knew that being off my feet for a long time was going to be a really uh, not a good option. <laughs> um, and so I opted for surgery. I had surgery within 24 hours of the rupture and then was discharged home um, to start my recovery. And I felt like nursing that Achilles tendon was like caring for a baby. Um, my son was a year and a half at that time. Oh, you, you have to remind me to tell you um, about a fall that my son took um, while I was in my boot. So <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. But yeah, I took it very seriously and I was told to contact, you know, a physical therapist that I trust. And so again, serendipity. I had met you in my clinic. I saw you at the Seven Sisters. So I uh, decided to sign up to get physical therapy with company that you were providing physical therapy at and i certainly had physical therapy with um many of your colleagues who were all wonderful yeah well and that's the downside too right because you come into an insurance driven clinic and that's extremely typical like you didn't see me every time you didn't see any of us every time it was like a mixture a grab a grab bag like but to your credit i found that the care was really continuous <clears throat> it seemed to really follow a plan and maybe that was not by design and just happened well n no like me uh, specifically in those situations, like I really tried to give this best continuous care and I really tried to not have my patients see anybody else. And like, I put a lot of effort into like, sit down with people and be like, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is a progression we're following when we hit these steps. Uh, and I was just fortunate enough to have colleagues that like listen to me. And really uh, a lot of times I would modify the notes and cause you spend a lot of time working with the exercise techs too, that were not the therapists, right? They're setting up for exercises. So I spent a lot of time working with, <laughs> with them, setting them up to know like what we're doing, even when I'm not there. So I kind of like to control that, but a lot, that takes a lot of extra effort and steps and what that results in. And this is why the therapists don't do that is having to take all of your notes home and do them and work for another four to six hours at home, like every friggin' day, um, which sucks. So a lot of times they're just like, Hey, go get a hot pack, hop on the bike for 10 minutes. We're going to yeah, I can relate, but, yeah. you know, as a testament to your leadership, you could tell that you called them techs. Yeah. They certainly, you know, always spent a great deal of time and certainly communicated so effectively and could tell that they were checking in with you when they needed to. So they both trusted you and also knew that they had like the autonomy to implement your plan, which they did. I felt cared for. I'm glad, you know, Yeah, I'm glad I know you're in a better spot now where you have control of you know move athletics and this is your baby and you really get to get into it with your patients but you were already doing that this is just like the greatest extension of that dude this is amazing this is amazing <laughs> thanks what a facility so you were oh thank you thank you i can't let that slide by i was gonna start talking again. well two pins so we'll talk about your facility i want to talk about uh, my son falling and what question was I answering? <laughs> <laughs> so you're just telling us, uh, about your rehab, right? Serendipity. And, uh, then you came and saw us. And... It was not fast. It was such a slow rehab, man. I mean, I went from running six miles a day, going to exercise classes, 
working out. Mind you, I am certainly not, you know, your exercise guru. I just love to move my body. That probably takes care of some uh, minor part of, you know, minimal ADD that I deal with. And um, to have that minimal, <laughs> minimal, and to have that taken away. I remember I had a knee scooter. Probably two weeks in, I was knee scooting from, you know, carrying Hell around Boston Road down to the McDonald's to get my salad. Of course, <laughs> they had a Southwest salad that was delicious, but probably still not healthy. I remember uh, getting really confident on that thing, on that knee scooter, and hitting the lip of a, a sidewalk uh, square, flying off that scooter and nailing my affected leg's knee. So the right knee right into the uh, the pavement. And I thought, great, now what did I do? Did I rupture (laughs) an ACL? Did I tear a meniscus? Now I'm adding insult to injury. And that, you know, made me realize I have to be super careful if I want to recover well. You know, you talked to me about an injury you had where you, I think you told me you shattered a bone, right? Yeah, my tibia. Your tibia and how even just taking a shower you know, can I even get into this bathtub safely? It's yeah. really humbling, really humbling. You know? Yeah. So I sidebar me like it, that was a that was a motorcycle accident. I oh, shattered geez. my left tibia, uh, broke my left scaphoid, my left ulna, and, and my left scapula, and I uh, collapsed. I'd like to say three out of five lung lobes plus like concussion all that stuff so it's like there was a lot there wasn't just the leg but there was a lot going on of like how do i do anything safely dude sidebar i fell uh when i was getting checked for pulmonary embolism trying to get out of the the bathroom at bay safe and they had this huge pile of like metal medical boxes i fell into so it was the loudest thing ever my mom ran around because she'd like bring me there because she was was, i mean shout out to my mom she like we didn't really have a relationship before then this is that's how we built our relationship um yeah, so I was in a shitty place, and she, like, took time off of work, moved me into her house, took care of me because I, like, couldn't do anything. I was going to go to a nursing home, uh, but then she's like, no, I'll take care of you. And I was like, oh, s- sweet. I don't really know you. Isn't <laughs> it amazing how we as, you know, tough guys think that the weakest thing you can do is ask for help, and it turns out asking for help is, like, the strongest thing you can do. Yeah. And people love to rally around, help you. It makes your relationship stronger. The people that help you feel better for being able to offer help it's a win dude and uh yeah it's a win for everybody for everybody it really is because that's this total sidebars here but like (laughs) i used to do everything by myself i used to try to figure everything out by myself it's like the typical we talked about earlier like the stereotypical like male like what is ingrained in a lot of males is like you just need to know the answers like you don't ask for help if you don't know you just figure it out and Confidence. the expectation is that you just know it mm-hmm. you know and, and that got me in a lot of shitty situations in life yeah same so here asking for help <laughs> the strongest thing you can do absolutely it's and at first it's like hard as hell and then it just becomes like that's what i do now when i have problems like i know who can help me solve those problems instead of trying to figure them out yeah, then it comes down to coaching and counseling right like now i'm all about paying anybody for their expertise that they can help me solve a problem for coaching. It doesn't matter what it's in. I yeah. spend tens of thousands of dollars in coaching. Kudos to you. You certainly pay it forward. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so we're talking about slow recovery, danger, like not danger, slow recovery and, and how I think it is danger is. though. It's so dangerous to re-rupture something like that. And that goes for many ligamental injuries or tendinous injuries. Um, I was talking to my wife, you know, we were talking about the Achilles tendon last night. It was my favorite thing to talk about, you know, during the injury. (laughs) And now that it's behind me, you know, I I don't talk about it as much 
trying to move forward. But she had said, you know, isn't that, you know, scar tissue stronger than it was before? I'm like, no, it's not really like a bone. And maybe you can talk about this because this is your specialty. But with bone, the remodeling in bone can potentially be as strong, if not stronger than previous, you know, bone tissue. But my understanding is tendons and ligaments, because that remodeling is sort of haphazard over time, it's really not as strong. Yes, there's this concept of repair versus remodeling. So uh, when you remodel something, it is the exact same material, right? It's the same tensile strength. It's the same, whatever it is, tension and compression. It's the same strength. Makes sense. And then there's repair where it's not quite the same, doesn't look and feel quite the same, and it's not quite the same strength. So, you know, if you think about uh, repairing a snowboard or a set of skis, like if you take a big chunk out of it, it'll be smooth and it'll all work well. But if you look at it, you can see it's not quite like the rest and that's going to be a weak spot in the board um, or the ski. <clears throat> so it's kind of the same thing there. And, and uh, in with scars... In a tendon and ligament or in a bone, tendon and ligament? Uh, so different, different uh, types of tissues in the body have different ways that they recover and it's yeah remodeling versus repair and and it really depends on which one of those you're specifically talking about so but i have any, to tell joni she was right anytime that there's scar tissue involved mm. that scar tissue even just like on your skin your epithelial tissue is only about 80 percent of the original strength and then if you cut that open again and it scars over again now you're at 80 percent of 80 percent Right, but with with the uh, with the the ligaments, really, what it's about, it's about loading and building resiliency and creating the springy there. Because we can get real deep into the ligament talk about like what type of ligaments are. Right, there's energy storing ligaments like the uh, the, the Achilles tendon. I'm oh, sorry, tendon, not fo- ligament. I don't yeah. know why I keep saying ligament. You so said ligament. It's like tell me, there's energy focus storing on, tendons. Yeah, the Achilles tendon. What's yeah. the deal there? Yeah. So um, with the Achilles tendon, typically what we'll see is it's thick. Is your Achilles tendon still thick? It's about twice the size of the other yeah, one. Yeah, right? So is that... It's a beast. Is that re- is that repaired or is that remodeled? Is uh, it exactly the same? It is not exactly the same. All right. So so then... So it's remodeled. It's, re- it's repaired. Repaired. Okay. Yeah. I can't believe I just kept saying ligaments. I was listening to you say ligaments. It's tendons. You sure you want to talk to me here? I don't even know ligaments and tendons. In case you guys are wondering, ligaments attach bone to bone and tendons attach muscle to bone. Um, and the way that things heal is like uh, there's different stages of it. It'll lay down one type of collagen that's really weak but lays the framework. And then another type of collagen is type 3, I think, that goes in first. And then type 1. And, um, and it really is kind of dependent, too, on the type of tendon that, that you're looking at. Um, so in general... When you have any kind of damage and there's a scar that's associated with it, which there is because it's completely severed and it kind of comes back together, right? Uh, then it's going to be weaker. But you can train that tendon to have strength. And that's why the rehab has to be so long because we have to train that muscle and tendon to be resilient, to uh, be able to absorb those loads because the, the body responds to the stresses that are placed on it in general, right? If you place a lot of cardiovascular stress on it, your cardiovascular system is going to adapt and become stronger, more efficient. If you lift heavy weights, you're going to uh, adapt and you're going to become stronger, right? Uh, If you eat a bunch of sugar, you're going to adapt and stop producing insulin or stop reacting to insulin, right? Uh, So so really, it's all about loading. Does it have to be weak forever? Like, 
the tissue itself might not be uh, as, as strong, but then you can train the whole unit to be very resilient and be able to handle those forces again. Does that make sense? Makes a world of sense. And that was what was important to me. And you also, when we were rehabbing, you appealed to my vanity. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize how vain I was about uh, calf size. Yeah. So when the Achilles ruptured after, what, four weeks of uh, plantar flexion, my calf looked like, you know, a tiny wrist. person's <laughs> wrist. And so I think a few weeks in, you introduced me to um, blood flow restriction. Yeah, which I really got into because I don't know the science of this, but you put the cuff on, you know, the thigh, you do your um, pretty heavy, you know, calf raises or lifts, whatever it may be, and you trap the blood right in the muscle body and the tendon, and you get this immediate swell. So just seeing that in the mirror was really uh, it appealed to my vanity, yeah, which I really enjoyed. Once you stop being scared of it, you're like, oh, it's swollen. Like, this is going to re-tear. This is going to re-tear my Achilles. You weren't there for the first time that I had to step down from, you know, an elevated board, which was maybe nothing, maybe a foot or two off the ground, maybe three feet. Probably, I probably didn't even start there. It was probably like, in the clinic. Yeah, in the clinic. And it was probably like it was probably a level one Reebok. It was a level was like one three Reebok. inches. Yeah. He's like a foot and a half. I three, was almost crying, inches. you know, thinking about just taking a step down with my right foot planted and left foot down because that creates the, um, you know, what's this dorsiflexion? Move? Dorsiflexion, right? That I thought was going to repop that tendon. Yeah, you were terrified of it. Zero pain, but so fearful that it could happen again. Yeah, and, and that's why it's important to have graded exposure to this stuff because a lot of rehab, especially in that sense, is psychological. I get it, dude. After my accident, I remember I was standing in front of that same thing sure. trying to jump on it. Right. And I was like, I would bail. It literally is three inches. I'm like, all right. I would go like wind up for the jump and I would go to do it and I would like just bail off to the side at the last second. Like, I can't jump. I got to just step. I can't do it. So because this is an injury, you know, specifically, you know, Achilles tendon ruptures and I got to see you, I think once or twice a week or your therapist that also worked at your facility, I feel like I got really good attention and we, um, you know, did physical therapy for probably four to six weeks. I wish I had done more, but are there things that you would have done with me differently if you had, you know, this clinic now with Move Athletic? Actually, have you seen anybody with Achilles tendon ruptures? Um, not early on. Not early on. Yeah. A lot, a lot of times when we see people post-surgical now, not always, sometimes we see people immediately post-surgical. Uh, I wish we saw more people because we would be able to prevent them from getting in the situation that they're in yeah. when they come and see me. It's usually yeah. like, hey, I've got an ACL tear, but I'm three months out and like I still can't do anything. I've got this Achilles tendon tear and I'm three months out and like I still can't like support my leg my weight on, on my leg um, and they're just really far behind the curve I would love to have you moderate um, an ACL tear person <laughs> versus an Achilles rupture person and we could for no reason at all just argue which is the tougher recovery because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so selfish I always say to people that ruptured their ACL the Achilles tendon is worse. And I would love to just <laughs> let, you know, uh, folks that have suffered the ACL tear have their, have their say. Dude. So, uh, it's just, it's not about the injury. It's about how it affects your life. Yeah. Good insight. Right? Yep. Because you can have somebody that tears Achilles tendon that like doesn't love running and it doesn't really matter because they're not healthy and they're not active and it doesn't really affect their life too much. Well, I could pop my ACL and I could still walk. Yeah. If I wanted to, when you rupture your Achilles tendon, you cannot walk. Yeah. You just cannot. You don't have the ability to, and, to flex your I mean, foot. Dep depending on what you're, 
getting back to, like, you technically don't need your ACL repaired. Like, there's lots of people that live life with no ACLs. So I win this argument. <laughs> <laughs> the Achilles tendon rupture is way worse. Than <laughs> Dude, I haven't, uh, knock on wood, like, I haven't had either of those personally. Um, I wonder if I know somebody who has done both. I know plenty of people that pop both both ACLs and, and people have toned both Achilles tendons. And Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah, it's people just... Do, it's because they don't take care of themselves, right? That didn't happen. Like you didn't pop your Achilles tendon because all of a sudden there's one big spike that was too much for that tendon to handle. I'm glad you brought that up. So that's right. So 2000 and I want to say 10, I backpacked the long trail and ended up with a severe right Achilles tendinosis. Is that the right terminology? Tendinosis, tendinopathy. Tendinopathy. Not an itis. It, well, it was it At was swollen, first, and then it went on for so long that it was no longer an itis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that might have laid down some of that repair. Yeah, yeah good. That was not, <laughs> you know, as strong as the original Achilles. So when I finally, you know, was able to play that ultimate frisbee game, and I was able to really uh, dorsiflect and try to explode right to cover that defender, boom, it popped. Yeah, I'm going to draw something out for you, the way that we look at injuries. Uh, anybody listening to this, if you want to see this, uh, just shoot us a DM on Instagram, and we will post a photo of it up for you. So the way that we – I have like this I3 model that I like to follow when mm-hmm. I think of injuries. And the first I is just incomplete uh, mechanics, right? So I'm just going to shorthand this. So this incomplete mechanics then leads to these incidences – I'm not going to finish that word, plus my handwriting is terrible. These incidences, these little incidences, which they're not typically real injuries. They're like micro injuries, right? Um, maybe you have a little soreness. Maybe there's a little inflammation. Maybe you get a little itis or an apathy where it's not a big injury. It's just a little thing that really typically doesn't inconvenience your life too much or affect you terribly. But And I wouldn't even pathologize this. I would just say this is your body's way of you know, healing micro injuries. Yeah. So you can keep living your life. And then, yeah, this is just, this is just like, it's just a cycle that we see, mm-hmm. right? And then people have, then those little incidences, they add up uh, to an injury, right? And then from that injury, you have compensations, which leads back to incomplete mechanics. Then we just have this cycle that goes on. And, you know, after the injury, sometimes you'll have pain. Um, and then that'll lead to more mechanics that aren't, aren't going so well, incomplete or in, inappropriate mechanics. And then you just have this cycle. So, hey, you, you hike the long trail. And if you had some uh, mobility deficits or missing strength or poor motor control and you just loaded that tendon poorly over and over and over for that many reps in that short period of time, well, that's where it starts, those mechanics, and at least that incident. And then, you know, it just kind of keeps going. You, and you maybe didn't have a big injury, but I will say, like, hey, you probably had some soreness, if I had to guess, during the, uh, the hike. It probably bothered you a little bit, even if it didn't, that you could um, – remember it's typically we'll find oh i just powered through it yeah. swelled up to the size of a banana yeah. i so, put some ice on it and kept moving so it bothered you for a little while for sure and then it just got worse and worse you had a little incident and you kept going with these incomplete mechanics led to an injury and then hey did you do any rehab for that no i just powered through kept running yeah right so then how do you think that affected your running do you think that you were still running the same I'm confident that I was running, you know, asymmetrically. <laughs> yeah. So now you see how this cycle just comes. And then somewhere along the line, like, boom, now you pop your Achilles. Now, can we say for 100% certainly, like, that's exactly what happened? No, but it makes sense. 
right? I'm confident there was some scar tissue in there. And just for your listeners, Roger was in full on professor mode, um, just very confidently drawing pictures and um, spelling <laughs> words. <laughs> I'm a giant whiteboard. Yeah, accurately. I love it. The inc- incomplete mechanics, like for the listeners that are getting into hiking or already hike, um, I think part of the problem was I was wearing an ankle high boot, you know, a boot that came up to the top of your soleus. Mm-hmm. And so it prevented full movement of the leg. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why um, I ended up with um, the incidents and the injury. Um, ever since then, I've been hiking in, you know, the, the flattest possible shoes with very minimal ankle yeah. support. Um, letting the muscles do the work. Yeah, if, if I had to hypothesize, I'd say you probably are missing a lot of stability at the hip too, because that's something that we see a lot with runners. Like For sure, yeah. They're missing the ability to control the foot by the muscles at the hip. Like, ask a lot of your runner friends, like, hey, how long can you stand on one foot without your your legs touching, like, just in a running pose? And they fall over, like, three seconds. How much time do you spend on one foot when you're running? What do you mean you can't stand on it, you know? So this giant sidebar here um, – that we've been on, I think. No? All right. I have no idea. I lost track. Well, we were talking about like rehab, recovery. I mentioned, do you still do work with the um, with the blood flow restrictions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what we were talking about, blood flow. Um, I do, except for now I get to use actual blood flow. So uh, for everybody listening, Ooh. Brian, uh, we did a no-no. We made it up. We just strapped shit tightly around his leg until I rated it. I got a zero to 10 tightness Right. Um, because they wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't let me bring any kind of cuffs in there. They wouldn't buy any cuffs uh, specifically because insurance doesn't pay for it. They don't pay extra. And I was like, well, I'm going to buy my own. And then they were like, well, you can't use those anyways (laughs) here. Uh, And if you do, you're going to be in a lot of trouble as in like probably not have a job. But I thought the science sort of supported. Oh, it does. 100%. um... The science supports it, but the insurance company doesn't pay for it. So it doesn't really matter what the uh, science supports. It matters what the insurance company pays for interesting yep well it and, worked I, and I, I liked it yeah <laughs> yeah it works amazingly right it allows you to load things it tricks your body into thinking that you're lifting heavy weights mm-hmm. uh but real realistically you're only lifting like 20 percent of your one rep max which at that point in time is like less than your body weight you know so it high repetitions but you get this huge pump it's a terrible burn it's miserable when you're going through it because it's a lot of hard work but it allows you to get stronger uh, faster and prevent atrophy, prevent muscle wasting. We saw you too late to prevent it. Um, how long after surgery did you come in? Oh, that's a great question. I can't remember. It couldn't have been any sooner than, you know, four to six weeks. Cause right. I did not plan to put any weight on that ankle and foot or leg for, I think six weeks. Yeah. So you we- talked me into maybe putting some weight on it around, I want to say six weeks. Yeah, it was you were you were trying to not do anything. I said, "Do we have to load this tendon?" Because you're like, "It's going to be long." I was like, "It's going to be long if you don't load it." <laughs> right now, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But at the time, I thought, you know, it's healing. Let's let it heal, and then I can start moving it. And yeah. the idea of moving it while healing seemed uh, at odds Terrifying. with <laughs> what you know we yeah. wanted the Achilles to do. But but then it comes down to the body response to the stresses that are, right. are placed on it, right? Like if you uh, tear your hamstring, have you ever pulled your hamstring? I have a hamstring pull right now, yeah. Yeah, so what that is, that's a tear. You tore your hamstring. Um, a little bit. Yeah, it's not a full tear, but it's torn. That's what it is, right? So how does that get better? You can wait. You don't want to load it when it's painful in the really early stages. You want to give some time to relax. You can still work the muscles around it, get more blood flow to it, but then mm-hmm. – 
you have to load it. You have to load it specifically eccentrically. Uh, Is that when I'm doing my heel lift up and then I'm coming back past neutral? Yeah. So it's yeah. like if you were to come up on two feet mm-hmm. and then take one away and then come down on one. Still my favorite exercise to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's super effective. Um, you can do the same thing with your hamstring, right? Where you use two legs to like curl something and then one leg to let it drop down. Uh, but that's going to build resiliency. That muscle is going to adapt to those stresses and learn to, to place it on. Because typically when you pull your hamstring, it, it's because you're in that eccentric phase. Like when you're running and your foot goes out in front of you and your hamstring is actually slowing down your foot swinging out in front, uh, that's when most people will pull their hamstring because it's not strong eccentrically. So if you never put this time into rehabbing that and making it stronger than it was, not as good as it was before, but stronger than it was before, you're going to pull again. So you said running downhill? No, just running in general. Oh, when running your foot general. goes from behind you to in front of you, and you're flinging your foot up. And you're like, from here to here, the hamstring's working as that foot passes in front of you to slow this down. Mm. Right? So if you do that, it's on. It's just like when you go to eat something, your bicep is bending your arm, but your tricep is eccentrically slowing it down. If it wasn't, you would just punch yourself in the face every time you tried to take a bite to eat. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So... <laughs> If you don't train that thing to be stronger than it is or was before, when you pulled it, it's probably going to happen again. Probably going to happen again. So don't do not do that. Um, so how long how long uh, did the recovery end up taking you overall? Let's say do this. Do this. From start to when you felt, quote, normal again. Yeah, good question. Um, I considered full recovery when I was able to run at least a 5K. So I think I was able to run a 5K at eight months. I want to say eight months. When yeah. did we run the Munson Road Race? That was November. Yeah, that was for Turkey. Turkey Day. Thanksgiving. So what's April to November? That was for Turkey. August, November, October, November. So that would have been seven months. Everybody's going to hear you counting that out. <laughs> oh, math is not my strong suit. Me either. So seven months. So you're able to, to get back and run. We ran a five-mile race together, which... Uh, is awesome. I love doing shit like that. Like taking somebody from being be six months. terrified of moving their body and retiring to literally going and running your first road race with you. Oh, it was so psychological though. You were like my PT teddy bear. You were there as well. So I thought, oh, psychologically, this is a safe thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So like, dude, how many, how many medical professionals, how many PTs, you know, that do that take somebody from injury to doing their first athletic event with them? Zero. Dude, that's amazing, right? I love doing shit like that. I actually have a picture of us uh, <laughs> at, at that race. I'm wearing like purple sweatpants and a green <laughs> a green uh, Marine Corps sweater with like a brown beanie. It looks terrible. Oh, I've seen you the think photo. You've got a big old beard. Yeah, it's yeah. a great photo. I put it on a Facebook ad, I think. Yeah, you can't fake our <laughs> smiles. I mean, I'm ecstatic yeah. to be running again, and you can tell that you're genuinely happy that one of your patients had a good outcome. Dude, yeah, and absolutely. you were always so honest. You never um, said things that weren't true. You said, I think you're going to have a really good outcome. Yeah. You know, you never said I can guarantee or blah, blah, blah. Dude, Stay. if anybody ever guarantees you anything, I mean, you know this, right? You're yeah. in medicine. Anything ever, anybody ever guarantees you anything in medicine? Walk away. Walk away. <laughs> like, not, it's, all, it's all our best guess based mm-hmm. on patterns and what we expect from what we've seen before. Does it always work that way? No, right? It does not. Um, and if anybody tells you that they know everything, again, walk away. Like, I don't know everything. I'm always learning. I've got a lot to learn still, always. Um, I was trying to get better. But I, that's good, man. I, I'm glad you appreciate me doing that because i thought that was like a really cool 
uh, thing to do. I thought it was a great experience, and uh, and I wanted to to be there for it. You know. Yeah, like, I appreciated really, that. I, maybe it's a downfall. I get really emotionally invested in treating patients. You know, because it's your life, right? To me, like not to me, but to a lot of clinicians, you're you're just like somebody else coming in with a problem, right? And it's just like another number, especially when you're swamped, right? Like, well, like you know how that is. But these are people's lives, right? Like this is your life. Like people, like medical professionals, I think a lot of doctors, PTs, chiropractors, whoever, you name it, surgeons, like they just get caught up in like, well, this is my job. I just do this as a job. No, you are fucking affecting people's lives. So being able to take you from uh, knowing how important running is to you and having that suddenly taken away from you and then being able to walk you through step by step, getting back to that and do that with you the first time getting back to your race, that's fucking I get goosebumps just talking about it. Yeah, and I saw you looking at me as a patient with those eyes. You always said things like you're in training now or you're in um – you know, you're, I don't even think you said rehab. I think you're training now. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, even from two weeks out of this injury, knowing I'm not going to be in a shoe or walk for another, you know, six or seven weeks, you were already getting me ready to think about that stuff um, and, and framing it in the light of, you know, training. I think that's amazing that that had the impact on you that you remember that right now because that's what it is. Well, I came to you at the lowest point in my life. Like I could not imagine I you know, loved running and hiking. And I had a, you know, one and a half year old at home that I, I needed to care for. And now I felt so powerless. I couldn't walk. You know, I have to keep one foot up, um, which, you know, thank heavens it's the modern day. You know, it's 2018, 19, and we can make this happen. Oh, I have to tell you about the left foot accelerator. I don't know if this is legal or not, <laughs> but I could not not drive. Um, so I, I don't think I can be in trouble for something I already did. But, yeah, whatever. Um, you can cut this out if it's a, but uh, I bought this left foot accelerator um, from online and it has a device that uh, pushes down the gas pedal as you use your left foot to push down this like added left uh, pedal. <laughs> it guards the brake, right? So you can't, or sorry, it guards the, um, it guards the gas. Um, so you're not accidentally going to step on, you know, the gas with your right foot. Yeah. But it um, it allowed me to, to drive a car at I think two weeks, you know, with a right foot. I didn't fully know. Severed. I didn't know that. That's <laughs> that's how I was getting to and from appointments. Nobody was dropping me off. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It yeah, was. man. I don't think that's illegal. I no. you buy it on the internet. I think you buy it on the internet. It's obviously it's got to be. It's got to yeah, be legal. It's like Tiger Bugs. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. So um, yeah, I don't know how anybody can't love their job and like get the warm and fuzzies with walking through what you just described. Like just hearing that, I was like. Damn, like, I'm so glad that I was able to, like, be there. That's fucking amazing to me. Tell me about the fall with your son. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, again, you know, to talk about how useless I felt, you know, I was loving, like, putting my son up on my feet, lifting him up, throwing him before the rupture. Um, but then I had to say things like, no, stay away. Daddy's healing. You know, watch out for the foot. And he was so kind and, uh, you know, he was a good listener, is a good listener. But one particular morning, I was getting ready for work, and my son was trying to climb up our um, carpeted stairs. There's about 12 stairs. I think you've seen these yeah, stairs. with your scary attic up there, With too. the scary attic. And he was maybe 10 or 12 steps up this stairwell, and I was standing at the top uh, watching him climb up, um, maybe not realizing I was in a boot. I was just watching him. He saw his mother walk by uh, the, the hallway, he pointed to mom and moved his finger back, which forced his head to go backwards. 
head back stair, legs overhead, oh, three man. or four times flipping over these stairs, crashing into the baby gate at the bottom. Um, as he was starting to fall backwards, I tried to lunge for him and realized I was injured. And if I did this, I would resever my Achilles. So I had to watch him fall down the stairs. Not only that, my wife was close enough that if I wasn't in the way of the stairs, she could have gotten by, you know, she could have walked down and grabbed him. But because I was standing there like a lump, I, you know, impeded her access to him. Fortunately, he was perfectly fine. Actually, two nights ago, I asked him to tell me a story because I was out of stories. <laughs> and he told me that story. <laughs> he said, Dad, do you remember the time I fell down the stairs and Mommy took me to the doctor and I was okay? <laughs> That's um, so funny. He was perfectly fine. He suffered a bump or bruise to his um, body, but he was perfectly fine. And but I think I remember you telling me about that yeah, actually before. It yeah. was harrowing and horrifying and really uh, hit the point home again, just like falling off the scooter onto the curb. Yeah. Um, we've got to be mindful of what we're doing. Dude, that's uh, that's I mean, as a as a parent, that's a terrifying experience to have. Like, period. Um, but the good news is, kids are incredibly resilient. They're like, aren't they? They're like Gumby, they just bounce. Oh my god! Like terrifying. I would have had a heart attack. Felt like a terrible person. I'm sure, like did. all kinds of terrible things went through your mind about what a bad person you are. At least that's what would happen to me. Oh my god! Um, yeah. But yeah, like that ha- <laughs> makes me feel any really kind of things. Those kind of things happen fairly well, often. To be honest, it actually motivated me to get better. I was like, I need to get strong because I need to be there to take care, you know, of my son. I need to rehab, so I need to take this very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I was highly motivated, which brings me back to what you were talking with patients. Like, do you find that the patients that come here are are highly motivated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so. <laughs> I mean, our whole model kind of. It, we only want to work with people that are motivated to get better, right? Like we have a, a really clearly defined um, type of person that we do really well with. Mm. And we actually get on phone calls with every single person before they come in. We spend 15, 20, sometimes it goes 30 minutes, but we really try to keep it to like a 15 minute time frame just to be respectful of other people's time. I love that. Uh, to hop on and find out like what is going on how it's affecting you and if we're the best fit to help you. And mm-hmm. if we're not, we send you somewhere else. But every, even when we allowed like online scheduling for new patients, um, which we don't anymore, we would call everybody like, Oh, there's a, there's an eval that's scheduled. Let's call them and make sure that they're a good fit. Let's get to know them. Uh, and even if it's not myself, you know, doing it, if, if it's just a time frame where Jess, um, you know, took the call and got to know and, and uh, see if they were a good fit, then I still have all of the information. We take detailed notes, right? So right from the very beginning, the, the, uh, the experience that people have is extremely different. Um, Particularly with the goal setting too. Yeah. I found that so helpful. Like I could not envision going from a completely severed tendon to running again, but you helped me set goals. Step one, get out of or wait in the boot. Can you step (laughs) on the boot? I think the first night I ever put full pressure on my foot in the boot was the night you came over, you brought steaks. Yeah. Because you were saying, well, you're healing. We need protein, <laughs> which was great. It was, a, you know, mentally it felt wonderful to think about doing something that can help. And I remember that was a, you know, one step. Great, I'm putting weight on the boot. Yeah. And then weeks later, putting, you know, a shoe on and how foreign that felt. But that's the next step. And it was wonderful to set achievable goals that's so funny i forgot i was there when you took the first step yeah because <laughs> i remember now we were talking about like you just put your foot down like, you can do it 
it's safe. You're like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I was listening to your podcast that you did with, um, is it Alex? Yeah. The physical therapist. And you were talking about when he suffered an injury, you know, he lost his tribe, the hockey tribe. And, um, you know, in being injured, I sort of lost my running community tribe. Um, so I didn't know who to turn to for advice, uh, because I was, uh, lame and shame on me for not asking for help. I certainly could have gone to some of these races and, you know, just been there for other people, but I was so immature that, you know, for me, it was, um, uh, it was hard to see other people, you know, running and being active and I couldn't be. Yeah. You, it's hard to be happy for them when you're like, thank you. So yeah. I felt really shamed that, you know, I felt that way and I'm working hard to not feel that way you know, yeah. moving forward. But, um, you know, having uh, somebody to talk to uh, was great. And, you know, you helped be that person, which is wonderful. That's good, man. I'm glad, I'm glad I could do that. I'm back to my tribe. Yeah. No, you know what? COVID stole the tribe away, though, because we can't do all these group runs and fun runs. So I'm looking forward to some of that. Yeah, hopefully that comes back uh, relatively soon. Please uh, call, make some calls. Make yeah. this happen for us, Raj. Dude, even just trying to get the vaccine was a pain in the ass. Like, I tried to... I would call and be like, oh, yeah, talk to your employer. I'm like, I am the employer. I am the <laughs> so I ended up getting it because uh, Brittany's a dental hygienist, and her boss was like, oh, yeah, you can sign up here. Like somehow she got the link. So I, sure. just, I used the link that they gave their office. Which vaccine did you get? The Pfizer. Awesome. I got okay. Moderna. Yeah. Did you have any uh, side effects? Oh, for sure. My left arm was super sore after the first dose. Mm -hmm. I had, couldn't sleep that first night. And then the second dose, I'd never had Rigers before. You know, that full body shake. Yeah. Um, so I had 24 hours of that. But took a Tylenol and I was fine. Did, yeah. I said it's a small price to pay for the immunity. Yeah, I uh, I didn't have any side effects. I just had a sore arm. It wasn't terribly uh, sore from the first one, and then the second one, totally fine. Love your immune system. Yeah, I didn't need to talk too much, dude. That's because I it was ate, like Roger. You and I are good. I ate bread that Afghani's flattened with their feet. Okay. So I just like that's the way I live life. Got you. Like. Ah, uh, well. What is that, the germ model? Dude, dude yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, if I survive that, survive this. Don't eat that off the floor. Whatever, I'm eating it off the floor. But I love yeah. that you incorporate both that. So you both understand that you need to be exposed to germs to allow your immune system to fight, while at the same time you recognize that COVID is such a big threat and is such a you know dangerous virus, an unpredictable virus, that it's worth getting, you know, the vaccine. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just because I'm really good with my immune system doesn't mean that everybody else around me is. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I can get it and carry it and pass it along and never have symptoms. Right. That doesn't mean that, like, my grandma or one of my patients mm -hmm. that might have uh, an immune compromised family member or loved one that, uh, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just, I don't know, I guess it's respectful too. Yeah. We like, all have to make our own decision. Yeah. Really? You know, like, I, I, me personally, like, Vaccine, no vaccine, I don't care for myself at all. But I don't want to be the reason that somebody else loses somebody. You know what I mean? So work in healthcare, might as well uh, set the example. Like that's something that we live uh, – I mean we live by. I'll say we live and breathe by, but it doesn't make so much sense. Like all of us here, we're in a fitness. We're in a wellness. We eat well. Check we us out. We're hanging right? out without masks. We're both <laughs> vaccinated. Yeah. We're loving it. Yeah, this is fantastic. You're um, probably the first person outside of my family that I've talked to outside of work without a mask on yeah in months well i mean we're both vaccinated right well, that's what i mean it's, it's wonderful like, it is great it's it's fantastic so um we've been chatting for a while we could keep going for a long time um but let's wrap it up so uh let's say what would you say to anybody what advice would you give anybody 
that uh, is suffering from an Achilles tendon rupture or a big injury in general? I'll stick to Achilles rupture, and I think advice is cheap, so I wish I could do coaching, but um, yeah, some advice is... What are some things that you think that you wish somebody would have told you? Oh, boy. Well, the things you told me, you know, take your time. I, you know, you're going to have a good recovery if you take the time. Uh, but the first big decision is, am I going non-op or am I going surgical? And so that is the biggest question that, you know, I hope folks can actually get some information about before they make a decision because there are advantages to both. Quick sidebar there. Yeah. If you have no idea what you're talking about, non-op, they literally just cast you in plantar flexion, which is with your toes pointed down. And then, uh, the ends of the Achilles tendon find each other like snakes and it does its magic and your body heals, which is insane to think about, right? But it occurs. But it does. It happens just by uh, approximating the tendon and not letting you move it. It'll uh, it'll actually repair itself. So uh, definitely finding out about that and not just taking advice blindly and getting some education and making sure that you make the decision that is best for you, not oh, just some man. random advice from one doctor or person that told you this is what we're going to do with no support. Well, Summarized. So after you've made your decision, take your time and connect ASAP with physical therapy because you definitely want somebody, um, an objective third party to walk you through it because you will have so much pop-ups in your brain telling you what you can and can't do. So you definitely want a mediator, which is your physical therapist. Yeah. Have you had physical therapy outside of your experience with me? Never. That's the only time I've ever engaged in physical therapy. Gotcha. So I was going to ask, without like a, a plug here like what are some things you think people should look for if you've had uh to have a good physical therapist on each end i don't know can you speak to that are you comfortable with that yeah i just think whatever you know physical therapy office you choose make sure it's somebody that you like spending time with and uh value in terms of uh, maybe their methods or just I think values is a better word because if you're just another patient, you know, on the dreadmill of patients, then they're just going to treat you following standard of care. They won't do any harm, but you know, are you going to have the best possible outcome? Probably only if somebody really cares about your outcome. Um, it's amazing, you know, how we won't uh, spend money, you know, on our health, right? We'll spend <laughs> so much money on, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, I'll buy, uh, food out and all my uh, coffees in the morning, but I won't spend, you know, a couple, couple dollars on my physical health. I want to find the PT that's in my network, even when that might not be the best thing for me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times people, uh, we run into that a lot, right? Like, oh, well, I don't have a lot of benefits. And like, my favorite question is, Hey, if, if, if the insurance doesn't cover, cover a dime, like, is this a worthwhile investment to you? Like you can't play with your kids. You can't run. You can't do these things we're going to give you every ounce of effort. Like, is it, is that worth it to you? Is that a worthwhile investment to get back to those things? And if you say no, that's totally fine. I want you to make the best decision that you're going to make for yourself. Like what you honestly think is the best decision for you. And you know what? Like there could be valid reasons as to why that's a better decision for you. Who am I to like make the decision on that? Yeah. Money could, you're right. I mean, money can be, you know, a big deal. And if funds are limited, I get that, but definitely connecting with PT. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, well, I mean, 
Sometimes funds are limited. It's often that's just a smokescreen. People are like, oh, I don't have the money, but tomorrow I'm going to spend $500 on Botox and get <laughs> lip fillers, and I'm going to go spend $5,000 on stem cell injections. And like, it's a matter of importance, right? They, they, a lot of times the money is a, a smokescreen, and that's just the, the story that we tell ourselves. Uh, if you tell me that it's like spending money on rehab is too expensive for you, but you need that same amount of money, uh, I don't have it. I can't get it. It doesn't. It's just not that important. If you need that same amount of money to save your son's life, you would have that in a heartbeat. You'd yeah. figure it out, You're right? Well, so it's about values. Yeah. So back to just practical advice is I really liked going from um, the splint, not into a cast, but into a boot. I liked having the boot so I could shower. Um, I also really liked the knee scooter so that you can be mobile. Uh, please get that left foot accelerator, which Roger assures me is lethal <laughs> if you rupture your right Achilles. Hopefully you rupture your left so you can keep driving. Yeah. Dude, that was me. I, my, everything was on my left side, so I could still I could still oh, drive. Yeah. yeah. We forget how we rely on our cars, man. Without those cars, we were just stuck home. Dude, dude, absolutely. And, uh, you know, since I worked at the rehab facility, I just went there like five hours a day, five days a week. That's what I did to replace uh, my tribe. I just made a new one <laughs> with my coworkers. They're probably like, can you please leave? Okay. So, um, well, can I just say two more things? One is, yeah. um, uh, psychological health. So making sure if you don't have a counselor, maybe reach out, find a sports counselor or something like that to talk yeah. to. And two is physical health. I don't get sick often, maybe two colds a year, but when I had my Achilles rupture that, you know, six to eight months of recovery, I had, all kinds of upper respiratory infections. I caught stomach bugs from my kids. So take care of your body. Rest, recover, drink water, eat good food because your body's trying to repair something that's pretty uh, traumatic. And so, you know, I feel like your your body reserves are a little lower than they used to be. Yeah, well, that's why we talked about nutrition, right? Like, hey, you gotta make sure you're eating protein, eat enough calories. Steaks, baby. Yeah, <laughs> because you need more energy. Like, dude, you have to repair collagen. But what's gonna do that? amino acids, proteins. Mm. You need the energy. The goods. You need the energy to do that. Where are you going to get the energy from? Carbohydrates? Like, you have to make sure you're eating well. Yeah. Um, shit, there was something else I wanted to say, but I forgot what it was. Well, I don't know, man. It's been a pleasure. If you ever want to talk about this or other things, I'd, I'd love to come back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll definitely have you on. I got a bunch of questions from people that uh, I'd love to have somebody like yourself answer. Um, so, some quick rapid-fire questions. Yes. Uh, what is your fastest mile? Oh, I'm not very fast at all. Um, fastest mile? I think I ran a 620. Damn, you're slow. I'm faster than you. Not but, anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty slow, honestly. Yeah, but you can do it forever. So how many miles can you keep that 620 pace for? Uh, now, maybe 10 miles. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's so funny. I think it's funny. I like one mile, 10 mile, same pace. It doesn't matter. Uh, what's your What's your favorite race? Um, yeah, good question. I think it's the seven sisters um, because I'm a hiker at heart. If I could be moving at one speed for the rest of my life, it's hiking with between a 15 and 20 pound backpack. Yeah. Um, and that um, seven sisters trail race kind of uh, exemplifies that. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I, <laughs> that was terrible. I just relied purely on my hatred of quitting. You it did took, great. You're not giving time. yourself enough credit. Um, that's a tough race. 
what uh, what races are on your bucket list? You have one race that you really want to get done before. Uh, no, not at all. But I want to tell you about one race I want us to do together. Um, it's a, a DFL dead effing last race. So every hour on the hour, you go out for a four mile loop. So you you can run that four miles in thirty minutes and then get a thirty minute break, as long as you're ready to go on the next hour for another four miles, right? So you could take the full hour to do those four miles and just walk it, but you won't get as much of a break. Um, and the point of the race is who can line up, you know, at that last possible hour and complete four hours. Um, the one version of this, um, that I went to was in, um, uh, South Amherst, uh, two Octobers ago. And I think the winner went for, I'm going to get this wrong. You'll have to fact check, but 13, you know, hours. Dude, so lined insane. up for the 13th hour and ran the four miles. Cause I love that idea of endurance. You're fighting your ability to hydrate and eat and still line up and go. Yeah, there's a lot of mental fortitude that comes into that as well. So I'll put that on the bucket list with you. Yeah, yeah. Let me finish my rehab <laughs> first. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to set a date. We'll have to put that like on the calendar to make it actually happen. Because if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Completely agree. Setting goals. Um, okay. Outside of running, what's your favorite exercise? I love or hiking. Uh, yeah, hiking. But I really love fitness classes, like at the Y. Um, so they have strong fit hit. They have a uh, power pump, uh, cardio kickboxing. Any version of these where you get 45 minutes of music, eight people, you know, moving together and doing movements. Because I swear that, you know, compound movements uh, just make me feel less pain than, say, standing still and doing bicep curls. I like to really, um, you know, move the body. Um, so if you're doing squats, you can do some bicep curls while your body's twisting. I, I love that. And then your 45 minutes go by like nothing yeah yeah that's what they do a lot at uh, f45 over there and that's i'll be a little genderist here i'd say i'm one of two males in classes <laughs> of 10 um not that i have any problem or complaint there just pointing that out come Dude, on man that's because there's a lot of dudes that uh i don't know they, they think that it's feminine somehow and then they go in there and they get their ass kicked and they're like oh my god this is so hard because there's so much cardio <laughs> yeah yeah so uh then one last one what is one book that you think everybody should read uh, right now, I'm reading uh, the new Malcolm Gladwell book, Talking with Strangers. Uh, it's fascinating, and it's topical because it's talking about the things we miss. You know, um, yeah, I'm glad you asked because right now, you know, we're really having um, a comeuppance in terms of you know the inherent racism in um, healthcare. You know, most of my patients are not white. I'd say the majority are non-white, and um, the inequality of care, access to care, um, the care received in the past. Um, it's all coming into question. And I think this is a great time to be in medicine and physical therapy um, so that we can be part of really tough conversations that folks were not really brave enough to have for a while. And so, yeah, check out, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's Talking with Strangers or Talking to Strangers. Dude, it's, it's fascinating. I'm on it. You, you I'll just, get you a copy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You just spoke uh, some hard truths right there, man. Like, it's a real thing when i was working in downtown springfield like so many of those people had just been written off nobody mm -hmm. listened nobody gave a shit uh in you know it's it's a difficult population to work with like i said earlier because there are some like if there's a lot of work comp like that has its own um negative stereotype the kind of connotation that comes with it but like being the person that can actually listen and it's it's a difficult population because they already expect you to not give a shit by the time, at least for me, by the time they came and see me, they've gone through the, the ringer and they're like, you're just another person that's going to write me off. So 
difficult to work with, but highly rewarding. You know, so that's that's awesome, man. We'll definitely check that book out. Uh, thanks for 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 your time this afternoon. And, uh, dude, we'll have you back on for sure. My absolute pleasure. This was amazing. I'm sorry if I was one of your weaker interviews, but I'm just uh, <laughs> so glad that I got to come and talk to you. Cool, man. All right, guys. Check us out uh, on the next episode. Hey, real quick. Before you go, I just want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others by taking a screenshot of this episode and posting it to your story on Instagram and tagging at Move Athletics PT so we can repost it. And to stay up on all the latest from me, make sure that you follow at Move Athletics PT on Instagram and Facebook, and then subscribe to the Move Athletics newsletter at www.moveathleticspt.com. All right, guys, catch you next episode.